<laughs> so well. And welcome to the Extra Base Podcast on a special Monday night episode. Um, as you can see, I'm solo tonight. Uh, Roger's coaching the mighty under eight, so didn't want to hold him back doing that. But uh, yeah, look, tonight's special guest is uh, none other than Jason Jason Pospisil from uh, Team Australia, the head women's manager. Um, I'll just bring him in. Hey, mate, how you going? Oh, good, Jeevo. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Good. How's things? Oh, yeah, can't complain, mate. Um, yeah, it's not the best weather to be mowing lawns at the moment, which I am for work, so it's been a bit, <laughs> bit hot and sticky the last couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, otherwise life is um, life is just fine. Yeah, it's good, mate. Good. Mate, um, obviously, you know, tonight having a bit of a chat here just about, you know, all things baseball, but more, yep. you know, more of the people that don't know, like, you know, I know tons about you and what you've done in, in your career. But, mate, can you just sort of tell everyone, for the people that obviously don't know, sort of the um, the Pops um, journey through baseball? Uh, yeah, so I, I started playing when I was uh, about 10, 10 years of age um, for Blacktown Workers. I was Blacktown Workers Junior. So... Um, I went to primary school with Matthew Sundstrom and his dad, um, Barry, was a head coach at Blacktown at the time and also an ABL coach. So um, he he asked if I'd like to um, to go and play um, with with Matthew and uh, a bunch of other guys that we went to school with. And, uh, yeah, so I started playing baseball at 10 for Blacktown. Um, uh, did Had a pretty decent junior career. I, I, pl- I made... I made all the, the you know, 14, 16, 18s um, state teams. Um, then at, at 18, I was pretty lucky enough. I, I signed a professional contract with the Minnesota Twins um, and played in the minor leagues with them for, for three years before I um, I got released. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't a very good pro player by any stretch of the imagination. Um, probably the three worst years of, um, of my career were those three years, but... Uh, then went on to play in Japan in the industrial league, and then played in Europe um, for for three years in in Croatia. Uh, my my grandparents were from there, so um, I was able to get a passport and go and play in Europe for three years, and um, and then come back and and continue to play for Blacktown um, until two thousand and I think ten eleven it was. Um, and then I uh, I decided to to go into into coaching. So I played last year uh, at uh, what I was forty. Uh, my son, my eight year old son at the time, kept pestering me to want to come back and play. He wanted to um, 
see me play because he, he saw my retired uh, jersey number in the frame here at home. He's like, what team's that, Dad? And I said, oh, it's a team Daddy used to play for in the summer. Um, and he goes, oh, well, I want to see you play. And he, I was like, nah, mate, Daddy's too old. Daddy's too old. And anyway, he kept pestering me, kept pestering me. And um, I said to uh, to Benny Maguire, head coach, I said, mate, you know what? My, my boy wants me to play. I said, I'm thinking about coming back to play. You know, you okay with it? Because I didn't want to take a, a spot of a young guy. Um, and he said, no, mate, come back and play. So I played last year. That was um, that was a lot of fun. Um, body body didn't like it too much. Um, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, it's I, I've been I've been really blessed, mate, to be able to play all around the world. Um, you know, obviously playing professionally and then playing in Europe, Japan and Europe. Europe was was great. I really enjoyed my time in Europe. Um, I think it's something that more young players from here in Australia should have a look into um, because the, the level of baseball is is decent. You know, like the top four five leagues in in Europe are, are legitimate legitimate leagues you know probably better than first grade standard here so they're really yeah. good and you get to travel around and, and see europe and play in different tournaments and yeah it's it's really really cool yeah and so how, how did you transition into into coaching um i always had when even when i was playing especially in pro ball um i had I was always like consider myself sort of a, a student of the game. I always wanted to know about different things, and I was a utility player, right? I wasn't an everyday starter. I was I was more a utility bench type of player in pro ball for um, the majority of my career there. So I, you know, got to sit on the bench and you listen to managers and you listen to other coaches, and it just started. It just really, really intrigued me about the way that they managed the game and different things that they thought about. And, how the game was taught and how it was played, different styles, etc. And I just always had this um, sort of passion, I suppose, for that and, and then coaching. So that started in, uh, let me think, 2004, five. So I'd just been released and I got approached by um, Reg, Reg Renouf, who was the president of, of Ryder Eastwood Club at the time, and said that... Um, Johnny Johnny Gaynor, who was head coach, was stepping down, and they were looking for someone that had had some pro experience, and you know, to come back and bring some different philosophies back to the club. And at the at that time, mate, I was only twenty years of age. Twenty twenty, I was twenty years of age, so very very young for a head coach. But um, it was a big risk I thought they were taking, but it was something that uh, an opportunity that presented itself, and. Uh, and, and I took it, and that was really probably the start of my coaching career. I sort of learned on the run, really. I mean, yeah. when you're head coach of a head coach of a state league club at 20, 21, you can't realistically say that you're ready at that age. But um, you know, I was pretty confident in my knowledge of the game and how it was played and stuff like that, and how I could instruct and teach. It was just you know, probably managing personalities, the people skills was something that was my weakness at that time. But I had good people around me that helped me with that. And, uh, yeah, I just went on from there. I, I you know, coached there. I, I coached in the In-Swiss program. Um, I got an invitation to the Major League Academy um, in 2007. Um, and I coached there, I think, for about six six years as the infield coordinator. Um, and then, obviously, head coach at Blacktown in 2008, and nine. Um and, and then on to the ABL and various junior Australian teams. And so 
it's like anything, mate. You got to. It only takes one opportunity, and once you get that one yeah. opportunity, if you take it and you continue to work on your craft, um, yeah. Like I, I, I too, I, I went to university at Ace Australian College of Physical Education and studied coaching and sports administration. Excuse me, sports administration. So um, it was, it's always been a passion, and and that was very, very beneficial because I think that. A lot of people who just, you know, the mums and dads who just coach it uh, on the weekends, um, yeah, more the volunteer coaches, this don't understand the complexity of coaching at higher levels. And yeah, if you want to be a career coach, such as myself and a lot of other people in the game, you really need to, you know, like I said, you can. There's university degrees on it, you know, on different aspects. You need to learn and and build build and work on your craft. So. I've always been passionate about coaching. I think I always will be, to be honest. And, you know, obviously club coaching is one thing, but um, ABL coaching, that that's a whole different beast. Uh, yeah, it is. In, in some instances, it, it's, it's, actually, it's actually easier. I, I, I've said to people, I think the best apprenticeship that a coach could do is actually to be the head coach of a club. And, and the reason I say that is that most clubs are under-resourced, right? Let's let's not beat around the bush. And there's so many different aspects that you have to develop. So obviously you're doing practice plans, um, you're working with other staff in regards to, you know, lineups and what's best for your club. Um, you're working with different stakeholders, you know, committees of clubs and sponsors, you're working with different players from all age groups. You know, you might have a 15-year-old kid in your under-18s and you might have a, you know, 36, 37-year-old veteran in your first-grade team. So you're dealing with different personalities. So I actually think club coaching is harder um, yeah. because you have to have so many – you do so many roles. Once you get to ABL level, you know, you've got extra resources. So, you know, you, you've got your manager and there's a hitting coach and a pitching coach and you've got an infield instructor, outfield coordinator, all that stuff. And you professional baseball, very you stay in your lane and you, yeah. you just perform your role to the best of your ability. So the first two years in the ABL with the Blue Sox, you know, I was the infield coach and for two years under Willow and then um, and then Kevin Bowles and coached from third base and first base as well. And then so you really got a, a, a small section, you know, a small area that you concentrate on and you're just trying to be the best you can in that area. Yeah. Then once you become the once you become the manager, I suppose it does go up a notch. But at that level, you're not really doing a lot of coaching coaching. Those guys know how to play and they have specific yeah. things that they're working on. And you're really just an extra set of eyes unless you see something really, really drastically wrong that you think needs correction. It's just about helping those guys prepare to get ready for a season and then help them to get ready for a game. Yeah, you know, the modern day guy, it's all about, you know, analytics and advanced scouting and okay, they're facing a certain pitcher. What's the pitch repertoire? What are the velocities? What's the pitch usage? You know, hot cold zone stuff, where's their strengths? Where's the pitch it's all that sort of stuff, mate. So yeah. and that's all generated by a computer now. You know, we touch a button on a screen and out spits a report on a picture that we're facing that day. Hey, guys, here it is. This is what we're facing today. This is what you can yeah. expect. This is your plan of attack, etc. Um, you're definitely not doing that in club ball. You're relying on you know, game changer <laughs> for spray charts and maybe some video. And you're playing the same guys all the time. So you've, you've got a yeah. pretty good idea about what they can do. Yeah, and obviously, you know, you, you see the same guys in the state league from when they were 
18 up until you know they're, they're in their 40s so yeah not a lot of absolutely some absolutely absolutely i think i went yeah. into coaching in the abl level very young too i was 27 um i played the year before in i think it was 2009 2010 i played for willow when it was still the old it was the claxon shield but it was like a bit of a pilot year because they knew the new abl was coming in 2010 11. so yeah. i played that year and then yeah when it went to full time I was at unit. Was I working full time or at university? It was one of the two. I can't quite. My, my memory's foggy, mate. But I, um, I just didn't feel that I could put in the the work as far as in the gym and on the field, um, as well as studying or going to work to to be able to play. Still, and I had an interest in coaching, and I was very lucky that that um, having played for Willow, Willow asked me if I'd be first base coach and help with the infielders which I obviously had great opportunity and said yes. And then the rest was sort of history after that. I just, you know, next year with Kevin Bowles, same role. Then he left uh, looking for a manager and um, God rest his soul, Dave Balfour interviewed me and he was, he was, he was really honest with me. He said, you know, Pop's like, listen, you weren't my first choice. I had a couple of other people I interviewed that weren't available and didn't want the role. And you've had some pro experience now coaching with the twins in 2012. So do you want to, you know, you want to have a shot at managing and, again, another opportunity. Door opens and you take the choice whether you want to step through the door or not. And, um, again, I probably wasn't ready to manage at ABL level at 27 either. Um, <laughs> we had some really good – you know, like it was hard for me because 27, I was managing a team. And on that team, I had five or six big league guys that were older than me that I'd played with teammates with at some stage. You know, I'm talking, you know, Brad Thomas, Richard Thompson, yeah. Trent Olchin, Chris Snelling, those guys. And now you're managing them as a 27-year-old guy who didn't get out of rookie ball. You know, there's a little bit of, I wouldn't say panic, but you sort of ask yourself, you know, should I be here? Am I the right guy for it, et cetera? Um, but, yeah, it worked, it worked out okay. I've got a couple of questions coming through. Um, one from Cav. What's your number one favourite memorable baseball moment? Um. I have a, I have, you know what? I think I've, someone's asked this question to me before. I, I, I really can't narrow it down because they've had, I've been very, very lucky to have a lot of great baseball um, opportunities and great, but I, I think, listen, like signing, signing a pro contract with the Twins, that was, that was, that was, that was amazing. That was amazing. Um, being named, you know, to manage the Australian under 15 team, that was my first national team coaching gig. That was pretty cool. Um, being named on the, the senior men's national team staff in 2018 for the Japan series, that was cool. Um, yeah, there's so many different things. I mean, from coaching, from a playing perspective, um, you know, I was lucky enough in my last year of pro ball to win a championship um, in the Appalachian League. That was that was something I remember. Um, you know, winning first grade championship with with Ride and with Blacktown. Um, sorry to the Ride guys, but the Blacktown one means more to me. <laughs> so um, that one was pretty cool because we'd never won one before. Where Ride had won before, um, and that was pretty special being able to be a manage as well as play. Um, you know, the being getting opportunity to manage my hometown hometown ABL team that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And you know, still passionate about that organisation. Um, so yeah, it's I, I can't I can't really narrow it down to one. I've had I've had a lot of a lot of favourite memorable baseball moments. So I've been very yeah, very tell, lucky. 
We're, we've got a serial pest on this show, um, Shannon Bickle, and um, he wanted to know his favourite throwing the third base into the beer garden. Mate, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that was a long time ago. When was that? I can't even remember. 20, 20, oh, 12, 13. I'm trying to think maybe year three or 12, something. 13. Probably uh, probably a bit later than that, mate. Yeah, I, I don't know. No, I, you know, it is what it is, right? Yeah. Just, just, mate, man, I was just, just, protect, just protecting my players and we weren't playing well. And, you know, it was a combination of things. I didn't like the explanation I was getting. We weren't playing well. And, yeah. um, you know, I just, you know, a bit of entertainment for the crowd, a whole bunch of different things. No, nothing different than you see that's happened yeah. in baseball for 100 years and will happen in baseball for another 100. I mean, it's probably more frowned upon these days than it used to be. I mean, God forbid you do that. God forbid you do you do that these days. You probably get a $1,500 fine and miss half the season. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I think I think I missed like two games and a $150 fine or something. So, but, yeah. you know, this is the thing. I, I talk to... You know, my good mates around the game and whatever. And, yeah, there's three things that people like about baseball. That's generally home runs, ejections, yep. and brawls. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. the three things that get that get baseball press in this country. So um, the only thing I sort of regret at the time was not sending, base, not sending the ABL the invoice for the publicity. So maybe yeah. I could have got some royalties. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I'm still getting played. I had a look at it the other day. Um, on YouTube, and um, yeah. it's still got it's got plenty of hits. So, but um, mate, what was that conversation with with young Riley and young Jordan at that time? Because mate, oh, I won't. Re- I think I Riley, won't repeat what Riley, I said. <laughs> Riley was only out of buddy out of nappies. It looked like it on the on the footage. So, yeah, it was. Yeah, I think um, we were. I think we were all pretty young, mate. We were all pretty young. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, what I, I, it's it's uh, it's something that obviously, like I said, it is what it is. It happened. Yeah. I um I at the time, yeah, you know, I I know the rule. Hence why I went out to argue it. I know I know the rule, yeah. um, and I understand you know the rule book, the rule book, um, stipulation and how it's worked, yeah. how it's worded. But to me, there's just a lack of common sense in that rule. You know, like the reason he was called safe was that Josh Dean, who had the ball, wasn't trying to apply a tag. And I'm like, well, if the guy runs in front of the runner, he's not running there to say hello to him, give him a Christmas card, say hello. He's running in front of him to try and tag him right now. And I know why physically he's not trying to tag him. But for you to run in front of the runner and then run where he did, I understand the rule and, you know, by the textbook, um, explanation, Riley was right, but yeah. my argument was just we need to exercise. I think there's times in the game where, yeah, have a little bit of feel for it, you know, just apply some common sense, and then there's no issue. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Bickle just said any publicity is good publicity. Pops did the right thing for his team in the game, 100%. And uh, it is <laughs> what it is. And yeah, I caught. I copped a bit of a ribbing. I mean, like, listen, there was people that loved it, but then I copped a bit of a ribbing too about, um, you know, it's not a good example as a manager and kids are watching that game and, and whatever. And you know what? I understand that point of view too, but, you know, it happens in every sport everywhere. around the world, yeah. everywhere. Rugby league, AFL, you see things that players do that you can say. When you're in the heat of the moment, 
you don't go out on the field and the first thing in your mind is, oh, I have to behave myself today because there's kids watching. It just doesn't happen that way. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. mate, moving on from, from the ABL, um, yeah. obviously, you know, you got – you know, ran into the into the Australian into the Australian mix for a yeah. little bit, and then, you know, then all of, you know, all of a sudden, out of the blue, all of a sudden, you're yeah, the the women's manager. How did that come about? Yep. Um, you know, been involved in the junior boys system. I managed a 15 new team at a World Cup, the 18 new team at a World Cup, and then I was the third base coach for. Um, for the 23 years with um, with Tony for two back-to-back World Cups. Um, and then it, it sort of went quiet. I, I'm not I'm not sure why um, there has been other – no, I didn't get any other opportunities in the, in the junior national teams. Um, I mean, I'm not bothered by it, but it um, was a bit yeah. of a surprise. I, I, I mean, I got, I got an opportunity – was it last year, the year before I took the 18U qualifier in New Zealand? So that was that yeah. was pretty cool to be back involved with that. But um, yeah, the women's role came up, and I think any time that you have an opportunity to manage a national team of any, you know, at any level, um, yeah, to me that's intriguing. So yeah, I was lucky enough went through the interview process and 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 got the job, and uh, it was a program that I felt like I could make a make a real difference with um in regards to the modern game and how um how it's been i mean we're it's a bit of a to me we're in a bit of a difficult situation with the women's program now because the new format that the wbsc have put in i think really hampers the countries um that don't have opportunities to play every year like us so for example we we go to the world cup each year um, generally, because we're the only country in the Oceania, re- we're a representative of the Oceania region. We're the yeah. only country in the world, sorry, sorry, in the Oceania region that plays baseball. So we automatically get qualification. And that means we don't play a qualifier, uh, a regional qualifier. We skip that year. So then where, for example, if you're Japan, Taiwan, Korea, say an Asian team or even, you know, in the Latin American countries, Venezuela, um, Cuba, Dominican Republic, etc. You're playing yeah. regional qualifiers every second or th- every third year. It is now, so it really, really hampers us um, the new format. And um, you know, Australia in the women's program have historically been, you know, top four country. Um, you know, up until about probably six, seven years, six, seven, eight years ago. And people have asked me, oh, have we gone backwards? And I'm like, I don't think we have. I, I think we've we we've stagnated. And I just think other countries have caught up. I think other countries have prioritised female baseball development and women's development. And, you know, like, for example, Mexico this year, first time they've been a World Cup qualified. They were, they were a really good team, really, really good team. And I think that um, there's going to be more countries like that that are going to start to pop up, you know, their federations are going to prioritise it and they're going to put resources into it. And just by pure power of population, mate, you know, they're going to be yeah. ultra, ultra competitive. So, you know, we, we talk about, you know, women's baseball and I guess that's probably a, a good segue into it. So, you know, in Australia, 
you know, there's mm. there's a few leagues around that have a have a women's league um, as such. Yep. yep. Um, how do you find how do you find the level? Um, yeah, I think yeah, tends tends to to you know be in let's say ratio with the quality of the state team. So obviously, you know, Victoria and New South Wales relevant women's state leagues are a pretty decent standard. And then you've got, you know, probably Western Australia, Queensland, and, you know, South Australia, ACT. So, um, yeah, there's a few, there's a few things that, you know, I've spoken about to people that I'd like to maybe, you know, people are willing to take the plunge on, on, you know, changing things up a little bit in regards to women's leagues. It's, you know, I, to me, I just see the strong get stronger and the weak get weaker, which I don't think is necessarily good for, for a league, whether it's male or female. Um, yeah. You know, I, I put forward when I was working at BNSW that they look at, you know, I'd, I'd like, it's hard, it's a hard sell, but I'd like to see them scrap the club format and just go to you know, pick your best, say, let's say 50 to 60 players in the, in the Sydney region and just put them into four teams and they play each other in like a, you know, a, let's call it a premier league, for example. And yeah. then you can have your club based competition in the B grade or something like that. Because at the moment you look at the women's competition, it's been Blacktown and Greenway for four, five, six years now. And then you ride. And um, I'm, I'm not even sure after that, there's, I know, okay. uh, yeah, Borco, MacArthur, and um, uh, who am I missing? Oh, Western Sydney Boomers, but they're yes, they're, yeah. they're pretty pretty young. So I yeah, I just you know, I'd like to see a Premier League type thing where they pick the best. Let's you could even go twelve, you know, twelve, twenty four. Let's say forty eight. Four teams of twelve, and yeah. they play two games a week like the men's state league. I, I, I don't see why they can't do that. There might be enough pitching yeah. for the two games a week potentially, but yeah. you know if you if you're worried about pitching, you can always shorten the game time. You can always play less innings. There's a whole bunch of different things that you can manipulate to suit the league. But that's something that I'd like to that I'd like to see. But it's a tough sell because we're so club based in Australia culturally. Oh, it's all about you know club, 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 and it's like, well, is that necessarily making the game better? I don't think it is. So. Just on that, <laughs> I don't know. I've been sort of thinking about different things now. You know, what are your thoughts on maybe you know shortening the base pass to you know eighty feet instead of ninety feet for the women's? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think it's something that we need to really look at, not just from a quality of game perspective, but from a development perspective. And these are things that we've spoken about. I've spoken about to. You know, my, my superiors at Baseball Australia and also to some contacts I have around the world and the WBSC in regards to maybe looking at 80-foot base pass, 55-foot pitching distance and making the ball smaller, right? Yeah. So, for example, women's cricket, smaller ball. Women's AFL, smaller ball. Women's basketball, smaller ball. Um, I think I'm pretty sure in the um, NRLW, they use a smaller ball potentially too. It's slightly smaller. Um, yeah, going. But I think one of the biggest things, and I've been, I'm a strong believer in this, is the women's game don't have any restrictions around bats. I like no. to see it go back yeah. to BB core, BB core, because yeah. to me, it's it's such an offensive based game. The women, it's 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 too tilted towards offense, 
especially yep. in this country, especially in this country. And I, people say to me all the time, we don't score enough runs. We don't score enough runs. We don't score enough runs. Our problem at World Cups is not scoring runs. Our problems is no. stopping them. We, we yeah. don't pitch and we don't defend well enough. And so by bringing the bases in shorter, the speed of the game now increases. You go back yeah. to BB core bats, you know, you're going to, you're still going to get rewarded if you put a good swing on the baseball, if you square the ball up, right? Yeah. So I think that that's the thing that people need to look at is how do we get the ball in play more and how do we speed the game up so that, our pitch, especially our defense. How does our defense get to get more game speed reps at a quicker speed? Because so, where we where we struggled internationally is defensively. The game speeds up on us, right? Yeah, and we don't execute at a higher speed compared to look at Japan. Like when you play Japan, they 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 play the game at a different level. It's a different level. It's like it's 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 crazy how how well fundamentally they're great obviously but they they can execute those fundamentals at a quicker speed yeah so obviously you know bringing in bringing in the pitching distance also to like 54 feet like you said um you know that eliminates well what i've seen a lot of women's baseball is that a lot of them do struggle to make the play and you know, especially in the, like the women's second grade you know it's you know it, it takes half an hour for the ball to get there at some times. And obviously, you know, bringing that distance in obviously will make the game a lot more, you know, well, more of a spectacle. And obviously, you know, people will be rewarded, you know, because the pitching distance is in the spot. Yeah, I think that, you know, listen, there's a there's, there's, there's pros and cons to every adjustment you make within the game, right? Yeah. So to me, you go shorter pitching distance, right? For pitchers that might have less arm strength, they still have an opportunity now to throw more strikes because they're not being overextended to throw the ball sixty feet, right? I'm talking yeah. B. I'm talking B grade now. You know, yeah. eighty feet base paths. It's the same principle. You know, they've probably got lesser arm strength, but now they can make the throw more accurately and better because it's less, yeah, less distance to throw. Now, if you look in the say, say you talk about a women's A grade or a Premier League at that distance. Okay, so now what happens is, like I was saying before. Your defensive reps are done at a, a fast, faster speed. You know, pitches, um, the 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 velocity. So if you're throwing 70 mile an hour from 60 feet, 70 mile an hour from 54 feet probably plays like 75, 76, which is what the upper echelon pitches in the world are off 60 feet. Uh, yeah. So there's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of pros to it, and I think the the BB call, like I said before, that's one I'm really, really, really strongly feel. About they need to look at having bringing BB core in um, yeah. because I think the game is what in Australia is way way too um, offensive based. You know, you see yeah. games that are you know eighteen to thirteen with you know like twenty five and twenty eight hits, and it's like well, those games go a long time, but that's not our issue. Our issue has been out of pitch and been out of defend um, and shorter bases, shorter pitching distance. Um, the smaller, but the other thing is too. Listen, biologically, females obviously um, have a lot of them smaller hands than males, right? Yeah. So here's one of the things I see: the girls have smaller hands, and they're trying to throw a full size baseball. So two things yeah. happen, right? They, especially on breaking balls, they 
their hand size is not big enough to be able to get down the front of the ball and actually spin it. Like if, if you can throw a, a plus breaking ball in a female game, you're you're an outlier. You're a bit of a unicorn if you can do that, right? Here's the yeah. other thing. Small hands, they struggle with the change-up because they can't yeah. get their, you know, if you're throwing a circle change or, you know, a, a palm ball or even a three-finger change, they can't get their fingers around the ball to kill the spin to lessen the velo. So there's a whole bunch of things that I can see getting better by making the ball. So instead of a nine-inch baseball, go to an eight-and-three-quarter-inch baseball. Or, yeah. and so, or something like that. You know, we do it for under-12s. I think BNSW had that little 12, that under-12 ball that was smaller. And it's yeah. kids can kids can control it better. And so we're doing it for juniors because they've got smaller hands and, you know, they're not as strong. But yet in the women's game where their hands are smaller generally and they're, um, uh, you know, not as strong as the men, but we want them to play on the same full-size field. It doesn't make sense to me at all. Yeah. So, um, Dan McGuire's just asking who's his bloke, so. I've got no idea. I've been tricking people for years, mate. Still tricking them. <laughs> so, you know, we, we talk about, you know, obviously changes to the women's game in, in that respect. But um, one of the other things, I guess, has sort of come – well, comes to mind for me too is, you know, like you know, coaches, like not all coaches are the same, you know, like some coaches will come in and just coach the game like your mum and dad. And obviously, you know, you've got people like yourself that, you know, have that wealth of experience and knowledge. So how do we, how do we share that? Because I guess I see a look and I see a massive gap in coaching. Like back when I was coaching, you know, I was lucky enough to have good coaches around me too that, that knew the game. But not everyone has that opportunity. Yeah. I think, you know, there's there's no doubt that in my experience, the girls have not been exposed to the same level of coaching as their male counterparts. That's, there's, there's to me, no no question in that at all. Um, and I think it's a couple of, a couple of things I see is one, our coaching pool in the women's game isn't as big, obviously, as what it is in the male in the male game. And yeah. the second thing is too, there's there's a lot of things that the girls as a whole do really, really well, but they've been taught wrong. So they've been yeah. taught stuff that doesn't doesn't quantify itself in the modern game. And they do that really well. And because they do that really well in the modern game they get exposed because they've been taught wrong. And this is the thing that, you know, I'm trying to overcome is that you, you have to adapt or die. The modern game is different now than it was 22 years ago, four years ago, 20 years ago. And being around an Emeralds program, um, we're just in a position where I don't get a chance to get them together too often. So I'm, yeah. I'm essentially re- reliant on those players getting stuff done in their own states. And, and and this is where our game's a little bit backwards in regards to coaching. Our better players spend more time with their club ball coaches over the course of a 12-month year than they do with their high-performance coaches, right? So mm-hmm. it's like anything. If I'm 12 months of the year, I'm spending eight months of the year, for example, with my club coach and four months of the year with my high-performance coach, 
which coach do you think is going to have the bigger outcome? Generally, it's probably yeah. the coach that they spend the most time with. So yeah. our our emphasis on coaching needs to be on improving and, and giving more knowledge to our club-level coaches that are with our players the majority of the time. Yeah. Simple as that. So, it's it's so, it's the same. I've, I've the same argument. Sorry, mate. I've had the same argument. Yeah. We have we have kids in our high performance program. They're in a high performance program for ten weeks. Yet they spend seven months of the year with their state league clubs. Who's going to have yeah. the most benefit? Right. So there needs to be. You know, it, it's imperative that our state um, state league coaches, our women's league coaches have educational opportunities because they have such an impact on those players because they spend the majority of the time with them. And that's what I was going to say. Like, what's, you know, what's the fix to coach education? Like, what do we, what do, we do to, to make that better? Oh, listen, mate, coach education in this state's non-existent. I'm, yeah. I've said that for a while now. It's, it's, it's borderline non-existent. And unless you're in a position where you're mentored or you're around a program and or coaches that are willing to take the time to help you and mentor you, you are essentially on your own in regards to what you learn and, and if you research and source your own information. So yeah, coaching, coaching accreditation and coach education are two completely different things. Accreditation is essentially just a process of you having some formal qualification to coach, right? So, yeah. yeah, I've done my working with children, check, tick. I've got, you know, I've done this, tick. I've done this, tick. I've done this, tick. Anyone can sit behind a desk and make sure that that's done, right? But the coach education side of it is practically non-existent. I mean, yeah. we have the Baseball USA program online, which you can go through, and for an entry-level coach or you know, junior level coach, there's some really good information there. But if you want to, in, if you want to increase your knowledge and you want to become, for example, what I call a career coach, where you stay in the game, you hold, you're, you're a lifer, if you want to call it that, guys like myself and uh, Benny Maguire, Sean Smith, Pete Warboys, I, no disrespect to anyone else I have a name, but they're just people that come to mind that have been in a coach for a long time. You don't, you don't have the opportunity to educate yourself in this state anymore. And yeah. that's sad. That's really sad because we're half the national membership. And I remember being with BNSW at the time as an employee and we had two or three town hall meetings for strategic planning and always in the top two things that are priority was coach accreditation, coach education. Yeah. And Gaz got the flick, which doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So it's sort of like, I'm probably being a bit political there, but I'm just telling my yeah. opinion. It doesn't make any sense to me. And, you know, the, the coach education space in this state to me has got to become a priority again because some of the stuff that I see in club land, even at state league level, mate, it's disturbing, disturbing about what's going on. Um, you know, like we've got kids at our club, kids at our club that have come back from state teams and have been told by state coaches, when you swing the bat and hit the ball, drop drop the bat in front of the plate so it gets in the catcher's way. Like, are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. And, yeah, it's just – it's it's nuts. It's nuts. It's something that we really, really have to get better at because we're not very good at it. Yeah, it, 
Tim Hearns just said, um, in juniors when playing mixed coaches, focus on males and not the females and they get left behind. So, you know, so that's that's what he sees at, at club level too. Yeah, and that's sad and that's poor coaching because if you're a decent coach, it shouldn't matter whether they're male or female, six foot tall, two foot tall. Teaching yeah. is teaching. Like there's a school teacher in a co-ed class just teach the, teach the boys and not the girls? No. no. So... It's um it's sad that that's happening, and you know like I know uh, for example at our club at Blacktown our women's league team our women's league team they train with our state league club on a Tuesday night, so yeah. they come down and mix in and they get the same same coaching same instruction same drills as what as what the boys are. I mean we're not te- women's baseball is not different than men's baseball. It's no. baseball. It's the same game, so you get taught the same way. And is that something that you would encourage more, having, you know, more sort of state league coaches actually, you know, having their women's sides training with them instead of training against, like, instead of being separate all the time? Oh, 100%. I, I don't see why not. I mean... You always have to consider the safety factor too, I think. I think that's, you know, the forefront is duty of care. Now, if you, for example, yeah. you probably wouldn't have women's B-grade teams training with state league clubs. The women's A-grade no. teams could quite easily train with state league clubs. You know, state league coaches doing coach education with their coaches, for example, within their association. Um, I think that, you know, that's something else in regards to the coach education space I've seen. I know when I was a junior coming through and, you know, my old man coached a little bit and, you know, but, and associations took some responsibility for educating their own coaches as well. And it seems like now that we have a scenario where the state body has had to undertake all of it, coach education, player development, and, you know, which, it becomes it becomes too hard, and I know like going through as a junior when I played at Cumberland, we had winter development programs. Cumberland were responsible yeah. for that, so we'd go and do that. And then if you made an in Swiss program, a state program, then you the the state body was responsible for the state level players, and then the next level down was the responsibility of the association, and you earned your way to get into that next level of that next program. We live in a generation now where people think just because I want an opportunity that I get it. It's the biggest load of yeah. rubbish I've ever heard in my life. And all we yeah. do now is we breed mediocrity. Now, you've got yeah. people that are going away on these tours with an Australian thing across their chest. Not, they haven't played for Australia. You know, just because they're going on a tour that's representing the Australian region, to me, that's not an Australian team. And yeah. we're, we're starting to put in place this notion that you've played for Australia or you've done this or you've done this you, because you want an opportunity that you get it. And yeah. there, there's, you know, you, you have to earn opportunities, earn opportunities. I um, I talk about people now, that, oh, you know, I can't do this and I can't do that because I'm too busy. Well, when I was doing, for example, my HSC, I was in the in-swiss program, right? Monday, yeah. Wednesday, Friday nights, I'd go to school come home, I'd have to go to the gym and lift with the INSYS program and then do my homework and my study and whatever. Five or six hours sleep, get up the next day. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays was practice, 
right? Three-hour practice, and then Sunday we'd play state league. Yeah. No time for a social life. We didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know social life, whatever. And now people start missing games because, oh, sorry, mate, I've got to go to, got to, go to a birthday party. Like, are you kidding yeah. me? Come on now. You know, and it, it, the, the world, listen, it's changed and I'm a bit of a, yeah. I'm a bit old school and I get a bit grumpy about these things. I get that, but it just doesn't. Some of the things that I think we as a society are teaching our players within the game is not, a, is not very, very good. Yeah, and Nicole Lambert just said also, right, also train with their, their females also train with their state league, which is great. Yeah, um, cool. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Um, um, and I think one of the one of the things I always sort of wonder, you know, by changing that now. Look, this is probably controversial too, but um, how do you feel about having all your state leagues aligned with your women's league? Uh, I've I've said that for a number of years now. I don't understand why we don't have our our women's league aligned with the state league clubs. If you yeah. if you as a club have a women's league team. Um, then that's great. And I think they're trying to do that. But, I mean, like, you look at it now, okay, well, West Sydney Boomers could align with Greater Western quite easily, right? Yeah. Um, you've got, obviously, Ride with Ride, MacArthur with MacArthur, Blacktown's Blacktown, Borco's Borco, uh, what was it, not Greenway, Eastern Suburbs, Dolphins, who could they align with potentially? I'm not sure. Cronulla. Canterbury or Cronulla or someone like that, 100%. Although Cronulla have a B-grade team, I believe. Um but I think that there's um, uh, there's definitely a opportunity there for that to happen. So I think that you can um, you could quite easily make that happen, mate, if teams were willing to you know potentially you know merge with a club that is not their club. So I think Manly have a B grade team, right? And Penrith have yep. B grade teams. So yeah, you know, like you know, Penrith and West Sydney Boomers there have got the nucleus to join Greater Western. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would I would agree with that comment, mate. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's just something I've always sort of seen. Like you know, state league's always been is what it is. But then you know, women seems to be a bit of a free for all. Um, you know, you can sort of have whatever you like, and then you know, the rest sort of make up the numbers. Yeah. Where I think if it was aligned, yeah, our participation numbers. In the women's, uh, I think in, in New South Wales are pretty strong. I mean, we've got six yeah. A grade teams, and I mean, there's got to be ten plus B grade teams, right? Yeah, um, Twelve, I think. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's outstanding. You know, and you, there's probably even an argument you could even go to a C grade. That's what I'm saying with the Premier League sort sort of scenario. You take your best forty eight players that you know yeah. you have this you have you have the state the state body pick those forty eight, put them into four teams, and play the Premier League, and then have your B grade and a C grade, and then that way. Yeah, you could have promotion and relegation and whatever, um, you know, because like I said, I don't think it's great for the league that the strong teams just keep getting stronger and the weak teams yeah. keep getting weaker. Um, you know, it, the general culture of an Australian, Australians don't like losing too much. And when you lose and lose and lose all the time, eventually you get jack of it. Well, I'm going to go somewhere where I might be able to win. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and that happens. Like, you know, I've seen it. I mean, you said it yourself, you know, people get jack of losing, so all of a sudden they, you know, they switch over to a new club and new lease on life and, you know, they start yeah. winning and they start enjoying their baseball again and you never see them again because, you know, yeah. they enjoy it. 
And then I think that's yeah. probably one of the things that a lot of people don't see now is that, you know, as you said, you know, if a lot of these people, you know, merged in together and we're all there for the same reason, um, yes, instead correct. of sort of working against each other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we see a lot of that, you know, with clubs are working against each other instead of working together, um, you know, yeah, for yeah. an actual outcome. Yeah, yeah, correct. And... Tim Hearn said that Cronulla have moved out of second grade and now they're at, uh, Dolphins also. So, okay, cool. Yeah, yep. there you go. But um, look, mate, thanks for your time. I know you're a busy guy. Um, always good to have a chat to you in, in regards to baseball. And, um, yeah, hopefully there's um, some changes around the corner. Love to see some changes. And, yeah. Um, yeah, what what's planned? What's planned for the next twelve months for the um, female program? Uh, obviously, we're a little quiet now because we didn't qualify yeah. in um, in August of last year. So, um, from a national team perspective, most of those players will play in the national championships. Um, there's a potential women's showcase after that again, which would which would be great, um, and then. Yeah, after that, I'm not quite sure. There's been a few rumblings of, of Baseball Victoria um, trying to organise a Japanese team to come out um, yeah. and play in a series down there. So that could be an opportunity maybe for an Australian squad to get together and you know play a little three-tri-series type of thing. But, um, yeah, yeah that, that's that's all it is at the moment is a, is a bit of a rumour. So I, I'm not privy to... Those conversations, that's above my pay grade, mate. So I just try to stay in my lane. But, um, yeah, I think I'll um, – yeah, on the women's front, it, it, it's pretty quiet. I'll, I'll just finish the state league season here with um, yeah. with, with Blacktown. Now the ABL season's finished. Um, and uh, winter time. the last couple of years I've had – yeah, just helped out with the BNSW High Performance Program. I haven't been involved in club baseball the last couple of winters. So – uh, winter, I try and get some time away a little bit and play some golf and do other things with my son. So, but um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure, mate. In regards to the winter just yet, we'll um, we'll see what pops up in the next you know month or so. And um, I, I've sort of I wouldn't say backed off, but I I, I just I, I still I still love the game um, and still yeah. love coaching and I still like being in in, in part of it, but. Um, yeah, you know, I I don't I don't miss working in it full time. That's for sure. There's just too many too many politics for me, mate. Politics is just yeah, not not something that one I'm very good at, but two I just don't. It's a waste of time to me. I just don't yeah. see how it achieve how it achieves anything. Um, and uh, yeah, there's so many yeah you know, selfish self driven agendas within the game. It just yeah just wore me down. I suppose after the five or six years. With BNSW, and then yeah, went obviously went to the Blue Sox with the the old ownership group, and that was just a disaster. That's the worst professional experience I've had had in my life. So I think Darren and um, Darren and Rob have done a great job this year re-establishing because that organisation have been driven into the ground. So they yeah. they were fantastic. And I, listen, the wins and losses obviously hugely disappointing, but you know yeah. if if people think that where that organisation was that they we were going to go and win 20, 30 games this year. Um, you know, they they got their their heads up in the clouds because it was never going to happen. So, yeah. I think um, yeah, they've got a really sound sound plan of how they want to rebuild the organisation, and it's like and no different than 
big league organisations that are rebuilding. You know, like, you know, you look at the Pirates and look at Arizona. Arizona made the World Series this year and they were in, you know, yeah. Baltimore. You know, I worked for the Orioles for three years scouting-wise and we were in the middle of a rebuild and this is the fruits of it are going to be in the next, you know, two, three seasons of the rebuild. So, and the Blue Sox are in a similar situation. So, I think, um, you know, I'm, I was really fortunate to be asked to come back and, and coach, um, which which was great. And, uh, you know, happy to be part of that rebuilding process because uh, it's going to take some time. And, um, yeah. yeah, we'll see what happens in the next two or three seasons. Well, uh, mate, it's always a pleasure. And uh, I'm actually going to... I'm actually might reach out to you after this. Um, got a few ideas actually that I've been floating about the about a women's super series, um, which I spoke to Sydney Winter about actually. So mm. happy to get your thoughts yeah. on that also. But yeah. um, no, no problem. Thanks, mate. Thanks for your time and um, all the best with your golf and obviously all the best for the rest of your rest of the Blacktown season. Obviously, you know you guys are cruising along at top of the table at the moment in first grade and pretty competitive in yeah. second and third grade also. Yeah, we're doing all right. We're doing okay. So uh, pretty you know, pretty, um, pretty rare occurrence, I think, what we're doing. We've only lost one game so far into a season. It's pretty cool. So, I mean, there's no doubt we've got, we got a really good club and a good team. And oh. Benny, ben, Benny's done a fantastic job putting that club together over the past five or six years and you know guys love playing for him and they love playing for each other and we've got a really good culture there and good coaching staff and we um, we all enjoy our um, um got a really you know good vibe around there so hopefully we can you know finish the season off strong and play well in the playoffs and hopefully win a few more that'd be nice yeah and uh, funky phil said pops impressed me as a coach even though i've said he's the best coach i've ever had <laughs> Oh, thanks, mate. Funky was a bit of a handful to manage, but um, no, he's, he was good. Yeah, it's that's the most rewarding part of coaching. You know, you have an impact on certain certain players. You'll have an impact on. There's some players that'll hate your guts. It's just how it is. You know, yeah, it's, it's like life. You can, you know, I'm I'm not perfect. I don't know it all. I've never preached to have known it all, and I try and get have a growth mindset and continue to to grow every day or every season, whatever it is. But you know, it's just. It is rewarding as a coach when you see a player get better or graduate to the next level or you help someone along the way, and that's that's why I do it. Yeah, too easy. Right, mate. Well, uh, thanks for right, your time. Mate. I hope we might be able to get um, Ben McGuire on leading up to our playoffs. We'll have a chat to him about playoffs baseball. That'll be a good chat. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be a good chat. Benny, Benny's not short of a word. Benny's not short of a word. So him and I talk pretty much daily. So we, um, yeah, we talk about baseball and just different things about the club or whatever. So yeah, he'd be good to have on. Yeah, he'll probably actually just having. He'll probably um, he'll probably tell you that I taught him everything he knows. So yeah, well, my my thought is now I'll run this by you. My thought is to try to get the top four first grade managers. All on yeah. at, at the same time. Ask them about how the season was, who's their biggest threat, and who's going to take out the title. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good viewing, good listening. Now I, I think, don't know how uh, you contain contain all four of them. Oh, they'll be right, mate. They'll be right. It'll 
it's uh, that'd be good though. I think it'd be real. It's re- I think it's really because obviously you don't know what other clubs are working on, what they're talking about, you know, where they are culturally. You just you, you don't have a clue, right? You're only ever worried about your own backyard. But uh, yeah. yeah, it'd be good. I think it'd be good for the listeners and the viewers just to get a different insight into different clubs and where they're at and what their thoughts are, and well, that'd be good. Yeah. Well, hopefully it pays off. Um, obviously, you know, Blacktown's locked away almost, certainly. Um, I think MacArthur's there, thereabouts. I think Borco's in the mix. No, I'm not sure on fourth, though they're out of Canterbury or Ride. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it'll be good. It's been uh, – I think I think we clinched first place yesterday. I think two and three are in. So, four games yeah. left and – It'll come down to ride Canterbury. We play Canterbury the last series of the year, so that'll be a big series for them. Um, so I'm sure that they'll they'll be coming ready to play. So it should be good, which should be good for us because you know, get get ourselves prepared with a bit you know higher intensity type baseball leading the playoffs. So that'll that'll be a good series for us too. I think you've got Greater Western this week. Uh, yeah, Greater Western here at um, I shouldn't say here Blacktown, just around the corner from me here. Uh, at Chapo, and uh, that's if it's not too hot. Um, <laughs> bit too hot, bit, bit too bit too hot yesterday. So I, I thought we were going to be close yesterday too. We were right on the right on the cusp, on the matrix of getting into the extreme. But um, we soldiered on and, and got it done. But it was um, it was it was pretty oppressive heat yesterday. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, mate, thanks for your time. I appreciate being on. Thanks, mate. Have a good night. Yep. Okay, you too. See you, mate. Bye-bye. That was Pops. Um, yeah, good chat. Obviously, you know, he's got a lot of insight in the game. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, the women's um, idea of having them shorter base paths and shorter p- pitching distances, yeah, I think that that's a um, could be a positive. But um, as for tomorrow night, uh, there'll be Roger and myself talking state league wrap up. So we're just going to do a bit of a, a rundown on the season um, stats and you know teams and positionings and obviously final thoughts on who's going to be where for the finals time. So that's all we have for tonight. But um, hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, this episode will be up on YouTube and also Spotify later on tonight. So. Thanks for your time, everyone, and we'll see you tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. <laughs> so well.